This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Hello, I'm Hanif Baharuddin. You're tuned into the show that explores the narratives of historical landmarks and places in the Klang Valley. It's the last month of the year and we're going to take this opportunity to look back at how our heritage and conservation efforts have been doing and coping, especially during the pandemic. Our resident heritage conservation expert, Elizabeth Cardosa, joins me to reflect on how our historical buildings and monuments have been surviving as we cope with the pandemic. Well, I will say that physically, the, a lot of the, the monumental buildings deteriorated even further. And you see that because, you know, work that, whether work was going to be done on them or not, you know, there was always talk, oh, you know, um, and it was in the news all the time. Oh, we're going to, you know, there's a budget for this, or we're putting in, we the city authorities, or we the Ministry of Culture, or we Javatan Warisan, whoever the agencies are, you know, are going to be uh, renovating or rehabilitating a place or whatever. We can't think about offices work working in the same way that we used to. It's not going to change. And while this work from home, I think, has taught us something that we can work remotely, it isn't ideal on the one hand. Um, on the other hand, we've learned to navigate it. And there have been aspects of it that we do enjoy. I mean, like meetings now start on time because people are not having to travel to a meeting, get caught in a traffic jam, find parking, you know, that kind of thing. Meetings are slightly shorter. Um, they don't necessarily go on for, you know, interminably for three hours. They may last an hour, an hour and a half because, you know, um, you want to get through the agenda because it is really quite different talking to your computer than talking face-to-face because that kind of interaction. So we kind of learned to, I feel, navigate that part of it. And physically, though, I will say that sadly, the buildings which were neglected, including monumental buildings, including buildings on the heritage list, or buildings that wanted to be or, or were proposed um, for heritage listing at national or at state level, local level, um, were just left to languish even further because you, you couldn't do anything. You know, so there was a certain sense of immobilization. You were know? like, oh, I don't know what to do. You know, and then you you kind of like freeze. Yeah, whether twenty twenty one will see it kicking back into gear and then going back to the old model or whether 2021 will see us reflecting on what do we need to do to make sure that these buildings are not just restored or renovated, but they have a purpose and they are fit to purpose. And taking into consideration, you know, um, now you're going to a shop, um, take your temperature, you do, you know, you go through all these protocols, you wear your mask, you wash your hands, you, you know, the things that are drilled into our into ourselves now in, in terms of managing our own health risk. Uh, we would need to take that into consideration for these properties. Mm. And I think that if we can extend that and look at the health of the property themselves, the physical building, do we need to air condition it? Which parts of it can be left um, open? How do we, you know, change it or adapt? Um, the way in which we 
use the space or renovate with these issues of, of health um, in mind. I think, I, I hope that, you know, when we move forward, uh, these are things that we will remember and bring with us when we are looking at restoring um, old buildings. How important are the people in relation to these monuments and buildings? And I'm trying to look at it from the perspective of uh, them being visitors to these spaces, right? Um, especially as you rightly pointed out, uh, taking into consideration the health factor as well, right? It's not going to immediately go back to the way it was, ever, uh, if ever, at least not for a long time. And even when the vaccines are, you know, um, being divvied out and everybody's being vaccinated, etc., etc., there will still be a time uh, when we are all going to learn, you know, it's it's like learning a new language, learning a new skill, learning learning to walk uh, as a child would do, and learning to navigate. I mean, we can say, yeah, you know, we want to accommodate tourists, but in some places, the tourist numbers were just unsustainable anyway. We went to a place and you couldn't really enjoy it because there were too many people. So we should think about carrying capacity, we should think about physical and, you know, emotional enjoyment, I think, as well, of, of, of you know, the space. So identifying, I think, the, the identity, the character and the heritage value of places like these, of historic buildings and sites and areas, if we identify them and we then use that as the basis for managing the way our approach and what we put into them and how we deal with it, then I think it's a good thing. And I think people are moving in that direction. I mean, certainly on the conservation front, internationally, I see a lot of that being talked about. Not new approaches, but sort of because of the slow, you know, you know, holding, not holding back, but just taking a pause and then assessing and reassessing, is this needed? Do we need to spend this? Do we need to have these thousands of people come to a place? Is that what um, the place wants? Is that what it needs? I am the site manager and you are the visitor. What would make your visit memorable? So seeing a new mural every day, um, every, every time you visit a place, um, is that what will make the place, you know, your, your visit memorable? Uh, is it that uh, you can take pause and sit and enjoy a place it with without people crowding around you like you know you so you have you know we talk about personal space right don't crowd my personal space now you have physically distance so people cannot crowd your personal space even if they wanted to you know i mean at, at least that that rules are you know enabling that so so i think we're really going to have to rethink the way in which we see um tourism and visitors and uh we can't we can't go back to the same come enjoy uh shopping party food on the street uh, in the same way because the SOPs that we keep you know being talked that are keep being talked about the SOPs don't allow for the same kind of level of interaction uh, it's a different level of interaction. Uh, it doesn't mean it's better or it's worse. No? It's just different. And that has to be taken into consideration. 
And so it is about places that and organizations need to find this balance and to develop this resilience for now and for the future, really. Mm. I think it just hopefully will make us better, better in the sense of um, more considerate of places, our environment and our neighbours. In the meantime, are there ways for people out there to still be interested in our culture and heritage without actually being physically there? How would you suggest people be more, I guess, involved and interested in their heritage and culture if they can't physically be there? How else can they go about it if they can't visit all these places? I think that things are already happening. I mean, if you look at social media and what's being shared, you can't come here physically, but let me share with you what I've seen or or my neighbourhood, you know. Um, I'm going to take you on a walk of my city or my town or my village or whatever, my river, you know, um, and come and experience it uh, with me virtually. Um, it's already happening. I think where I always would, I suppose, be a little bit cautious is how accurate is the kind of information that you're receiving i you know there's just so much there out there on on social media and on, you know so many different facebook uh pages and groups and youtube and you know just out there you know instagram so on social media um in in the ether so to speak not not the print media but even the print media you know you have you you obviously uh and, and radio, um, there are ways of, of sort of evo- evoking a, a sense of a place, right? And so you experience it that way. And I think that that will not go away. And I think it's a good thing. It's, however, it really is about how correct or how relevant that information is that's being provided. Because I, you know, sometimes I, I, watch or I look at um, talks or, or these virtual tours or whatever and I go mm, you know the information that's being provided isn't necessarily accurate so we have to learn we the visitor who are visiting it virtually we have to learn to be discerning we have to kind of learn to check um, fact checked almost yeah you know to, to, to make sure that what we're being told to a certain extent, um, you know, is is more fact than fiction. Lah. So how much of it is a dramatization of a historic event or a historic a set of historic characters um, that we want to cast a spin on and how much of it is actual, you know, objective, documented fact. If we begin by saying this is a, a historical novel based on a historical event or a series of events, but it is a fiction. That's okay. Where we're upfront. I think part of the problem I see with social media is that that part of it isn't necessarily upfront. So we have to learn to be more discerning, I think. Mm-hmm. We the visitor, we the audience, yeah, have to learn to be more discerning. Mm-hmm. In putting even 
that kind of information out there. Yeah, and how can we do that though? I mean, if you don't know what we don't know, right? Sometimes. Yeah, yeah, I know that sometimes. Yeah, you don't know what question to ask, and therefore you can't write. I would say read <laughs> extensively, but that's uh, somebody was saying to me the other day when we were talking about culture. You know, people don't read. People don't read. You know, and even you know, it doesn't matter where they are, whether they're educated, whether they're young, whether they're old. They just don't read. So, so it is difficult to say read. I mean. Find ways to check one set of your, you know, the information that you're being given against another set of information you're being given. And quite often, you may find that they contradict each other. In which case, you go, okay, right, fine. You know, where is, you know, what do I need to do? Or how do I actually, you know, learn what is more, or which parts of it are, um, more accurate what is more authentic when we look at buildings this is one of the things that happens we look at a building and we say um, oh uh, this building is an old building um, and we if we don't know how to read the architecture and we're not discerning we think that maybe the whole building uh, was built like that in the past but actually there have been some renovations there have been some changes and things like that and it doesn't mean that you don't enjoy what you're seeing or experiencing. But I do think that we all have to learn in life to be more discerning about all sorts of things. And we just have to find ways of doing it. Cross-check information, you know. Don't take everything that you're given at face value is basically. I suppose that's for me um, something I've always grown up with, you know, and, and, and read. Because reading is enjoyable, uh, at least for me. And for a lot of people I know. Um, okay, yeah. So just to summarize, um, I guess we've done reflecting for the year. Uh, what are your hopes and projections uh, for next year? I wish we would, um, and authorities would be a little bit more cognizant when they decide to do things like change names of historic places. Um, you know, this year we had this whole business to do with, oh, um, you know, a particular street was renamed and nobody could figure out why. Uh, and it wasn't that the name, the new name or the, or the, or the context of the new name was, was, was bad. It wasn't at all. You know, it was a very important issue that needed to be highlighted. However, because it was such an important issue, why highlight it in an area that had absolutely no historical connection to that issue? And it confuses. And so I, you know, or, or renaming um, a building. You know, the Putra World Trade Center has now been renamed, right? It's now called the World Trade Center Kuala Lumpur. It was called Putra World Trade Center for a very specific reason. And, and of course, I had to do it in Raman, Putra. It had a, a, a sense of, of belonging, yeah, to that particular aspect of history or a particular person in the historical past was very important to the country. And now it's just called the World Trade Center Kuala Lumpur. I mean, for goodness sake, you know, WTC, you know, that, that's how I, I just saw it um, in, a, in a posting on, on an activity that's going on in January and February, you know, that was being promoted for January and February. And I'm like going like, World Trade Center Kuala Lumpur. It's like, why? What was, it, what was the need to remove that? And I, and, and so sometimes I feel that these are the kinds of things that we 
authorities, um, civil society um, should be cognizant of and be a little bit more aware of in terms of the story behind something. You know, the good, bad and the ugly. Um, just because something is bad doesn't mean you ignore it or you pretend, you know. We can't, when we shouldn't be ostriches. We shouldn't say, if I sweep it away, um, it doesn't exist anymore. Well, sorry, that's the thing about history is it, it exists, but it is interpreted um, in in different in a different time and by you know with a different set of values. But as long as we can keep the context and understand the context, so yeah, I would hope that maybe next year um, money is spent on renovating and restoring and rehabilitating buildings which are really important um you know the big the, the monuments um but also um the heritage of um which makes up the the, the sense of the place and the sensibility of a city center and not destroying it ad hoc or willy-nilly you know so today I look at a block of shop houses and maybe there were 10 shop houses in a row or 11 or 12 shop houses in a row that were one ensemble. And um, next year when I visited again, you know, three of them are gone. And so the sense, the ensemble and the collection and the collective strength of it um, disappears. And I think these are things that I hope because we've had time um to pause, that we will take stock, that authorities will take stock and say, okay, maybe we can revisit, you know, these things and, and not chase after the the biggest, the tallest, the most beautiful, because the biggest, the tallest, the most beautiful will always be eclipsed by something else in the future, which is bigger, taller, more beautiful, or your aesthetic, your sense of aesthetic changes. And so what you thought was beautiful then, you know, 10 years ago is no longer beautiful. And you look at it and you say, oh, yeah, that was built in the 1990s. I recognize that. You know, it's immediately dated and it hasn't come back into fashion. You know? mm-hmm. So not just in response to the fashionable, mm-hmm. but really in, in, in developing a better understanding of our values and and recognizing that and capturing that i think in our cityscapes including activities including traditions including traditional practices uh it doesn't mean you get stuck under a glass like heritage and glass is in a museum belongs in a museum because culture is evolving and that to recognize that is an important part as well of culture and development You've been tuning in to I Love KL and this week we reflected on how the year has been on the heritage side of things with our resident heritage conservation expert, Elizabeth Cardosa. That's all we have for this episode of I Love KL. If you miss any part of the show, you can check out the podcast at bfm.my slash ilovekl, our app which you can find via Google Play and the App Store and also Spotify. Don't forget to also follow the station on Twitter at BFM Radio. My name is Sanif Baharudin and you have been tuning in to I Love KL, bringing you closer to the people and places of our capital. City. Join us again next week only on BFM 89.9, the business station. 
Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.